0: Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the fountain church. Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 8. Now if you're a first-time guest, we're so glad you're here. We're going to have all of the um, passages on the screen as we move forward. Uh, but I always start off reading the first passage um, because I want to get you used to opening up your Bibles. All right? Exodus chapter 33, verse 8, you, you with me? Here we go. Whenever Moses went out of the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now, when people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, when people saw the cloud standing at the entrance, Of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. So inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. But this is the key verse today. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Another translation says, Joshua, son of Nun. Would not depart from the tent. I want to speak to you today from the subject of practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for our time together. I pray in your great grace that you would give me great clarity today. God, I thank you for your strength. Lord, I pray that we would leave here um, changed forever. God, we didn't come here to play church, we came here to encounter a real God, because we're living in a real life. And so, Lord, we just surrender our time to you and ask that you would fill us and refresh us in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey back to 1902 through 1904. This massive move of God, which people uh, in the past have called revival, was happening. And it was happening in what they would call the Welsh Revival. It was happening over in Europe, in a particular region. And God was sweeping through this nation in such a way that they would never be the same, and the world would talk about it forever. Now, if you're new to church, you may be asking, what in the world is a revival? Revival was simply a time where God would bring back to life Hearts that were dry, stale, dead. God would send an awakening throughout the land of the reality of who he is. He'd give people a fresh revelation of of his presence. And people would encounter God in such a way where during times or season of revival, people would just step into a church and the preacher wouldn't even have to preach. They would just start crying out to God, God, forgive me, God, just because the presence of God was so rich in that place. Come on, doesn't that sound refreshing and amazing? Now revival, when you look back in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, it simply means to revive. Um, that's all it means. It means to come back to life. It means that God would sweep through and call dead things back to life, or as our worship team was declaring today, dry bones back to life. It would. God would say, man, I want to speak and I want to breathe over dry bones that they would live. God would bring Life where there's death, he would bring refreshment where there's been dry and weariness, and you you know when revival is happening because you can't miss it, and that's what was happening in Wales in 1902 and 1904, Uh, really kicked off by a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. Let me show you a picture of him. Now Evan Roberts was only 26 years old, but had a heart for God, had a passion for God, and uh, it was on a particular uh, Sunday service where God did something in this young man's heart where he would never be the same. Pretty much just like our time here together, uh, after the service, there's people who are available to pray with you. And how many of you guys know what's important? It's important um, to have people that are close to you, around you, that can pray with you and for you. And he came up after church uh, just to simply pray for a couple of minutes with a few friends. And And during that time of prayer... God put a vision, if you would, in his heart. God began to stir his heart in such a way that when he was done with that prayer time, he looked at his buddy and he said, hey, man, could you believe that God would give us 100,000 souls? And his friend looked at him and he said, yeah, I believe. How many of you guys know we need some friends like that that can believe big with us? He says, yeah, I, I believe it. And so Evan Roberts that day, he prayed a simple prayer. He said, Lord, would you bend me? However you want me to, to bend, whatever shape, form, or fashion. However, whatever you want from me, Lord, would you bend me? And God began to answer that prayer. In fact, uh, Evan Roberts worked as a coal miner, and he was in Bible college at the time. And it was a particular time in class, and he just felt, re- he felt really restless. And so he asked this professor, he said, hey, professor, I really feel like God is stirring my heart to go back to my city, to go back to my town and tell them about Jesus. Is that from God or the devil? And his professor leaned in. I don't know if he had an accent or not, but he said, I don't think the devil makes plans like that. So you should go back home and you should tell those people about Jesus. So he comes home and his parents are freaked out because they thought he was in trouble. What are you doing for home from school? Did you get in trouble? What's going on? He said, no, no, no. I feel like I'm supposed to preach and start telling people about Jesus, especially the young people. And and so his parents were like, okay, a great place to start would be the church. So anyways, they go down to the church, and he goes to the pastor. He says, hey, man, I really feel like I'm called to preach. And the pastor kind of humored him like, all right, buddy. All right, that's awesome. Great aspiration. How about you come to our prayer meeting? And so he shows up to the prayer meeting. There's about 17 people. And at the end of the prayer meeting, The pastor invites Evan up and he says, ladies and gentlemen, Evan believes he has a word from God for us today. And so Evan gets up and he begins to declare this like he was delivering a telegram. He says, ladies and gentlemen, I have a message from God for you, right? No clever story in the beginning. None of that stuff. I have a message from God for you. Confess any known sin. And if you've wronged somebody, go make it right. Get rid of any doubtful habit, any habit that you know is shady, is what he was saying. And then he said, be quick to listen to the Spirit. and When God speaks, be ready to move. And then he says, make sure you declare publicly your faith in Jesus. All 17 people got rocked in that prayer meeting that day. Like, they all came to the altar. The guy said four things. I'm like, come on, Lord, that would be awesome. Let that happen in this house. Could you imagine that? Hey, guys, I got four things for you. Hey, 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 have a great day. <laughs> See you tomorrow. And they all come forward, and so the pastor's like, whoa, okay. Boy's got a little preach in them, kind of, sort of. Something happened here. So we said, we're we're doing this missions thing tomorrow. Why don't you come back out tomorrow night? And so he comes out with his family. He sits down. They do their missions deal. And he invites Evan to come up and speak again. And something starts to stir. More people are there. And then the next day, he says, why don't you come back? And more people show up. And then the next week, it broke. You say, what broke? The Spirit of God broke out in Wales in a revival that we would still talk about and will talk about for the rest of our existence on this planet. I mean, it's undeniable. It's a historical moment that you you can't get away from. And when I say the Spirit of God broke out, meaning people started to get saved by the thousands. And it wasn't just in his church. All the churches of Wales started to get flooded. It was like every pastor's dream, right? It's like one moment, like, man, last week was really dead. This moment is past. It was so packed that when he would get up to preach, he would have to walk on the shoulders of men and women through the crowd just to get to the pulpit. And they said that sometimes the cries of the people to God were so loud, the pastors couldn't even preach. Because the presence of God was so rich, people would step in and just start crying out to God. God, forgive me. God, help me. God, remember my son. I mean, people just started, it, it it was incredible. They never experienced anything like this. What's so amazing is God answered the cry of this 26-year-old boy because upwards of 150,000 people gave their life to Jesus during this revival. Now, this is what's so incredible. 150,000 people respond to the gospel in five months. Let me put that in perspective. There's about 310,000 people in the Tri-Valley. It would be as if half of the Tri-Valley got saved in 5 months. Could you believe God for something like that? It started to mess up the city. I mean, even economically, it was the city was in mayhem. The police were getting laid off cuz there was no work. No, seriously, taverns were shutting down cuz nobody was buying alcohol. Even grocery stores, you could show up to a grocery store in the middle of the day and it'd be closed. Why? Because they'd be at church. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, the city was just being, the the, the region was just being wrecked in such a real way. Now, you know revival is happening when this happens. So in Wales, their big deal is soccer. They call it football, we call it soccer. They didn't even have their Super Bowl for soccer during the revival Nobody wanted to show up. Everybody wanted to be at church. So much so, I don't know if it's 1902 or 1904, but if you look on the records of who won the championship in Wales that year, it just says revival. Because everybody was at, nobody wanted to show up. You know God is on the move when nobody wants to show up to a sporting event. Like some of you weren't here last week because it was football season, right? And God just started to break out. But there's one part of the story I didn't tell you. And that's that's really where this all began. See, I'm giving you the Instagram story. I'm giving you the Snapchat. I'm giving you the Facebook timeline. You know, the highlight reel. But this young had been praying for 13 years since he was 13 years old that God would bring revival to his region. 13 years. All because a young boy took some time to practice the presence of God, just to be with God. You say, what does it mean to practice the presence of God? I'm just simply saying, hey, creating space in your life for God to speak to you through his word, spend some time with him in prayer, maybe gather in a small group where you can grow with others and grow deeply and passionately in love with Jesus. Just taking some some time to, to practice his presence. Now, when I say that, I know what everybody's thinking, and there's a key word in there that is highlighted to, to some of you for sure, and it's the word time. Some of you are thinking, well, oh, that's great for that young man, 26-year-old college student, but I don't have time to practice anything. My life is so packed. There's so many things happening in my life. Well, truth of the matter is this guy was a coal miner, and it said that when he was in the coal mines, He always had his Bible with him. In fact, he had a little spot where he would stash his Bible so he would work. And then after, uh, or when they would blow the whistle for the break or it was lunchtime, he would grab his Bible. And they just said he was always in the Word of God. They said he was in the Word so much. And his Bible was always in the coal mines that on one particular occasion, the coal mine had a huge fire. And everything got destroyed except his Bible. It was burnt a little bit around the fringes. But it was the same Bible that he used to preach in the revival. They said in the coal mines, it was so crazy that production started to decrease. And it's not because people were just at church. It was because the horses that would pull the trucks of all the coal, they couldn't communicate with the coal miners anymore because these guys all stopped cussing. And so the horses couldn't even recognize what they were trying to tell them because nobody was swearing. No, this is a true story. They had, to remove, they had to remove this entire fleet of horses and get a brand new fleet and retrain them with new language. Come on, you know God was moving in a powerful way. But it wasn't because this guy had all the time in the world. It's just because he chose to use his time in a particular way that said, every moment that I get free, I want to take some time to practice God's presence. Now, this is the part of the sermon where... A lot of times this pastors would say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, so you need to spend time with Jesus, right? Open your Bibles for crying out loud. Just, And we start giving you a lecture. That's not what I want to do today. Because many of you here, you already know that to be true. Matter of fact, the number one response I get when I ask somebody, how is your relationship going with Jesus? The number one response is, I wish I had more time. Just not spending time with God like I'd. Want to. It's the number one reason. So I'm not going to lecture you on time, but what I'm hoping to do is cast some vision for what would happen if you decided to spend some time with Him and practice the presence of God. And this is so huge because all of us are in this journey called life. And and because we're in this journey called life, all of us are going through life with a particular perspective. And some of us are going through life right now, and and our perspective is, man, it's very hard. It's very difficult. Man, It's my life is crazy. I'm trying to figure stuff out. Anybody uh, alive today? And... Uh, and others of you are, you know, you have a different, you have another perspective of where you're at. And we all have a different perspective on this journey. And, and the first thing that I, the big idea that I want to share with you today, and, and I think this is so important for all of us to grasp, is because when you and I take time to practice the presence of God, God's going to begin to do something in your life and shift some things that you never could have Imagined. Let me just show you what revival looks like. Let me show you another picture of what revival looks like. You know what's so funny is nobody has to conjure them up to raise their hands. They're just crying out to God. Amazing. And this, the, the secret to all of this, uh, let me show you one last picture of Evan, was prayer. Prayer is the secret of power, he would say. And so I believe Evan would really want you to know this. I believe the Lord would want you to know this. That if we begin to practice the presence of God, some things are going to shift. And the number one thing that's going to start to shift, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. When we spend time in God's presence, it's going to shift our perspective. Spending time in God's presence will shift our perspective. It'll shift our perspective on this journey that we call life. Let me paint a picture for you. So this last week, I've been sick. I'm about 90%. I'm still cloudy today. So if I'm jabbling and jumbling and my words get mixed up, don't judge me, all right? Uh, I'll, be, I'll be back on point next week. Uh, but I've been really sick over this last week. We left church last Sunday. I had a fever, body aches, sore throat, and we had to go home, pack up, and head off to a district conference uh, for our, uh, our district and so, you know, we're exhausted. And you got to, you know, we're, we're, we had such a great day at church, so pumped at what God is doing. And then it was like, we got to pack. Uh, like, who likes to pack? And then the kids are fussy because they're not feeling good. And we got to make a four-hour drive. Come on, somebody's feeling my pain today. <laughs> and so we, we head on this, we head on Highway 5. Now, Highway 5 is such a beautiful, beautiful highway. But I just felt like all of our hearts were messed up. Like, I'm looking at Jackie. Jackie's tired. I'm sick. I don't want to talk. The kids are, you know, again, they're sick. They're kind of frustrated because it's taking long and we've only been driving 30 minutes. (laughs) We get to the first rest stop and it takes, you know, a five-minute stop turns into a 30-minute stop. And I'm just like, oh, man, it felt like we were on Highway 5 forever. (laughs) And we finally get to Bakersfield. And it's like heaven opens up. And we're so pumped, and we had an incredible conference. God showed up. It was amazing. Horrible drive. Great conference. So we get back in the car. It's, it's the last day of the conference, and we're thinking, should we just make the trek? Should we drive home, jump back on Highway 5? All the kids, they have not it 8. It's about 5 o'clock. It's, it's approaching that bedtime hour. They haven't napped. Like, this is, this is risky. So we're thinking, should we just stay the night? And then, you know, once the car is packed... You're like, we just got to go. So let's go. So we, we head back home, still sick, still messed up. But this time, we started to engage each other's presence. See, on the way there, it was like, I love you, you love me, but we are not talking. Uh, that, that was kind of like, that was our experience. And I could just tell, Jackie's driving, and she, was, she hates that drive when she's tired, and I'm sick, I'm trying to get some rest. just wasn't happening. So on the way home, we decide to actually engage one another. We actually take some time in each other's presence. Now, before before we know it, we're home. I looked at her. I said, boo, your presence is majestic. (laughs) Your presence is powerful. Because here we took the same journey. But what felt like a lifetime on the way up felt like a moment on the way back. And it was the same road. It was the same journey. It was just a different perspective. Why? Because when we engage the presence of God, when we spend time in God's presence, God will shift the perspective of our journey. It's it's amazing how God works. And so I want to give us three shifts of what will happen if you actually choose to spend time with Jesus. I can't make you spend time with God. I I wouldn't even propose to to, to try to force you to do that. That's not legal. Um, I want you to be able to spend time with God, but I, I want to I show you three shifts that will happen if you decide. If you decide to spend time with God. Now, I have to tell you, we're going to learn these shifts from a man who knew the presence of God very well, and his name was Joshua. And Joshua, he had a very good uh, teacher. His teacher's name was Moses. We call him Mo for short around here at Fountain Church. And Joshua knew a little bit about the presence of God. But let me, let me paint a picture before we jump in to a little bit of Joshua's life. And I want to point out the first shift that's going to happen if you decide to take time to spend in God's presence. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. is that his presence will shift our priorities. Shift our priorities. Now, up until this point, Joshua, he, he had experienced a lot in life. He'd been in slavery for the majority of his life. And now, just recently, um, he experienced God in a way that was pretty phenomenal. Uh, God rescued his people out of Egypt. Joshua saw God demonstrate his power with ten plagues. Joshua witnessed the the parting of the Red Sea. matter of fact, Joshua was one of the guys that walked through it. He experienced the presence of God with them in the wilderness, in a a place that was scary. It was dark. God said, man, I'm going to be with you. And a sign that I'm with you. It's going to be a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that you will know that my presence will go before you. Joshua experienced all this. He experienced fresh bread from heaven, like we talked about last week. Now, up until this point, he even experienced water coming from a rock. That's amazing. And so Joshua had experienced God in a way uh, with all of the people in a pretty profound way. But he was getting ready to encounter God's presence in a way that would change him forever. Now, after water came back, after water came out of this rock and they started multiple companies, Alhambra, Arrowhead, all that stuff was going on, right? Just make sure you're awake. Um, After water was coming from this rock, this this group by the name of the Amalekites were planning a strategic attack on the people of, of Israel. They weren't ready for this. These guys have never fought a day in their life. They've been slaves. They may have fought each other, had a couple of fist fights, but they were not prepared for a battle. And out of nowhere, these guys strike. And Moses says, hey, Joshua. Joshua's like, me? Look what Moses says to him, Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, get this picture for a moment. Joshua has never fought a battle in his life, but Moses sees potential in him. Moses sees that regardless of anything, you can build a team, bro. And Moses looks at him and says, hey, Josh, you ready to get in the game? It's game time. I need you to build a team, and I need you to go fight. Now, in Joshua's defense... Probably for a moment. Now, this isn't biblical. This is my opinion. But probably for a moment, Joshua was saying, hmm. So Moses, you're going to go stand on the top of the hill (laughs) with the staff of God in your hands? That staff that actually does all the miracles, signs, and wonders? That's a demonstration of God's power and God's judgment on those who don't like him? And I'm going to be in the valley? Fighting? Maybe, Moses, we could, we could just reverse that. It makes a lot more sense. Moses, you can do your staff thing in the valley, and we could be up on the top cheering you on. Biggest cheerleaders without pom-poms. <laughs> but Joshua doesn't do that. Joshua says, I'm in. And he does it. He builds a team in a couple of hours and gets to work. And he starts battling. Now, you've got you to picture this moment. Joshua's first encounter with God's presence was with all the people together. But now Joshua is going to encounter God personally. He's going to understand what it feels like to be used by God supernaturally in such a way that's going to blow his mind and shift his priorities forever. All because he said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I've never fought a day in my life, but but yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And so as, as, this play, as this event plays out, true story, as this event plays out, Joshua was in the battlefield, and the Bible says clearly that as long as Moses' hands were raised up with the staff, that the Israelites had the advantage, and they start whooping their behinds. And then the moment that Moses would reach for a cup of coffee, and he would drop one of his hands, then the Amalekites would start to get the edge. And so they, they figured it out like, hey, they're probably fighting with swords. Man, get somebody to lift up that dude's hands. Keep it up. So Aaron and her, Aaron and her, go up on top of the mountain, just hold Moses' arms up all the way till sundown as they're fighting this battle. And Joshua was experiencing this. He's like, I've never fought like this in my life. I mean, he had to have had one of those epic moments where he's just like, what is happening? This is crazy. We're, we're winning, right? He spent his whole life losing. And it's like, we're winning. This is I'm not even doing this, like, (laughs) and he sees this dynamic that we are tearing these guys up, and I'm not even that good, but he encounters the power and the presence of God that will overthrow his enemies in such a powerful way, he's looking up like, man, Moses is up on the top, lifting his hands, we're tearing it up in the battle, like, what in the world and from that point forward, something something has shifted in Joshua. And it was so it was so cool because it says, look what the Bible says, Exodus 17. Uh, he says, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord Is my banner. Now, I remember when I first said yes to Jesus in regards to doing something that was completely bigger than myself, because that's what Joshua did. I love it how his first experience wasn't on the mountaintop with like worship music playing. No, his first (laughs) personal encounter with the presence of God was about to reveal the purpose for his life, all because he said yes to serve. Count me in. I don't know what I have to offer, but I'm going to give it, I'll give it a shot. And I remember the first time I said yes, somebody came in and asked me, you should help out in youth ministry. I was like, no. I'm not doing that. I don't think I'll be good at that at all, number one. Like, have you seen the way I look? I don't look very present. Like, I was thuggish. <laughs> I don't think I'll be a good example. And so, so finally I was like, man, fine, I'll go. And so I go my first day there. They're like, yay, great to see you. Hey, let's put him up in the front. No. (laughs) Let's not do that. Yeah, we're going to ask you 10 questions. What's your most embarrassing moment? I'm just like, what? What in the world? But I stayed. And God began to use me in ways that I never thought possible. I remember my first message was out of, like, Isaiah 68. And I butchered that thing. But God still used it. I was like, I didn't even preach, like, it wasn't even good theology. It was just, God, brought, run. And God started changing lives. And I thought, man, there was something about the, those moments that shift your priorities. And so from, from, from this, this moment forward, it put a hunger in my heart, just like it put a hunger in Joshua's heart. Because the Lord was saying, Joshua, I don't want you to forget this, that I will, I will fight your battles, man. You won because of me. This wasn't about your awesomeness. This was about my awesomeness. And I want you to know that I'm your banner. I'm your protector. So listen, when everybody else, they're waving their little white flag out there. They're waving their, you know, uh, they're representing their their battle tribe. I'm going to be your banner. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to bring about a victory that you can, just like this one right here. Don't forget this, Joshua, because you're going to carry this with you through the rest of your life. Because here in my presence, I'm revealing your purpose. And as a result, your priorities are about to shift. And so, so from this point forward, he's glued to the hip of Moses. He becomes Moses' assistant. Like, I just want to be close to the guy. Whatever you want me to do. And all throughout the book of Exodus, the only time that we see Joshua appearing is when Moses is going to spend time with God, when Moses is going into the cloud. And so so look at this particular one in Exodus chapter 24. It says, then Moses set out with Joshua, his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of God settled on Mount Sinai. Now, this is so cool because you got the people of Israel at the base of the mountain. you got the elders are about halfway up, but then Moses is like, I'm going with you. Joshua was like, Moses, I'm going with you. I know I can't go into the cloud or I'll die because God's presence is holy. He asked you to come in the cloud, not me. But I'm going to get as close to the cloud as I possibly can, and I'm just going to wait for you. And Moses would be up there 40 days, and Joshua was still like, what do you say? Tell me everything. Like, you've been waiting here 40 days, bro? Yeah. Like on pump, Joshua was content with just being close to God's presence. Woo. As followers of Jesus now, because of the cross and Christ, we don't have to climb up a mountain. The Bible says that the very spirit of God as a follower of Jesus dwells on the inside of you. Joshua would have longed for that day. He just wants to be close to God's presence. How close do you want to be? And then this is probably my favorite verse of of Joshua. It says that that Moses, not only on the mountaintop, but but it also says that inside the tent of meeting, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. And afterward, Moses would return to the camp, continue, But the young man, this is awesome, we read this in the beginning, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Another translation, like I said, just says he just wouldn't depart. Like Moses would go back to the camp, hey, what's up, guys? Joshua's like, I just want to be in your presence. So cool thing about Joshua is his knees were just as callous as his hands. He's like, man, God, I'm going to fight all the days of my life for you, but the one thing I really long for is just to be with you. That's what made him such a great leader. How are your priorities doing when it comes to his presence? I promise you, if you're thinking about spending time with God, your priorities are going to shift. And things are going to change. So how does this work on Monday for this this, this particular point? Two things I I, want to give to you. You say, well, that's that's very inspiring. How does this work? Well, number one, make yourself available to the Lord. That's how this point works. How, How do I... What's one thing I can do to, to kind of step in and practice God's presence? Just simply make yourself available to the Lord. And then number two, don't do life alone. Like, we don't get a bonus for you getting in a small group. Like, God doesn't say, good job, you got another person, bonus. Like, we want you to get in a small group because just like Joshua with Moses, man, you, you want to find people that are running a little bit ahead of you so you can grow. You want to find some people like the elders where you guys are experiencing God together on, on the mountain <laughs> or in the valley. Like we need one another. And so one of the greatest ways you can practice God's presence is simply make yourself available and just choose not to do life alone. This is too easy. Anybody can take those steps. And I promise, I promise you'll start to grow. Second point is this. You're going to be shifted when it comes to God's word. In other words, you'll be compelled by the word rather than complain about the world. This is for somebody today. You'll be compelled. Listen, when you take time to practice God's presence, you'll be compelled by the word rather than complain about the world. Uh, we, some of us, we just love to complain. Right? I, I was talking with, um, with a, a friend of mine. He serves on our Dream Team. He serves on our, uh, our Sound and Media Team. And, he, and he's from India. And he was telling me about his church uh, that he's from back in India. And we were dialoguing, and it's, it really intrigued me. I'd never heard of this guy. And after our conversation, I was like, I gotta find out more about this guy. So I was Googling, right? And, uh, and it was pretty incredible because his pastor in India pastors the third largest church in the world. And he just started it in like the early 2000s 160,000 people, 160,000. That's revival. And, and, and his, his tactic, I just preach the word of God. That's all I do. I preach the word and they come. So during a time of prayer and fasting, he's reading through the book of Nehemiah. And he feels like God, God, is, God has given them 12 acres of land and he senses in his heart God wants him to build the church. Now, it's pretty cool. He got saved by a, a, an evangelist that was traveling through his village on a megaphone preaching about Jesus. This guy hears the message, responds, surrenders his life to Jesus, and immediately just starts hitting the streets and telling people about about him. God speaks to him and says, "You're gonna you're gonna pastor a very big church, dude." But for a lot of years, he just prayed and talked to people, and prayed and talked to people, and then this church started to started to grow. He planted the church, and it just started to, to rapidly grow. and 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 he was reading through the book of Nehemiah during um, forty days of fasting and prayer. And it was in the time of India where the rain was, it was the most wet and it was the most hot. And he's reading and he's like, so Lord, you built these walls through the hands of Nehemiah in 52 days in a record time. Well, if you can do it then, then you can do it now. 52 days this building will go up, pumped up, compelled by the word. And says, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray about it. He's, and he felt like God gave him the green light. Like, do it. So not a, there, there was a lot of opposition. It was raining every single, every single day. It was raining, and they were holding prayer meetings outside, just getting drenched, just declaring. People said that it will take 90 days just to put the air conditioning unit in because it seats 18,000 people. And he's like, no, 52 days. God said it. 52 days. And, and let me tell you, there's a lot to complain about. He could have easily said, why am I building this big church? India, it's only 5%. 5% of people are Christians. There's a lot of people in India. There's a lot of opposition, a lot of obstacles. It can't be done. The weather. He could have just complained. But he didn't have time to complain because he was compelled by the word. And so let me show you a picture. 52 days, this building went up. And now it's one of his 10 campuses. And he was just like, not, it, people were asking him, I was watching interviews, like, what are you doing? He's just preaching the word, pure word, teaching the purity of the gospel. And God's just flourishing it. And Joshua had experienced something similar. They had been in the wilderness, and it had been pretty exhausting. And Joshua's life was full of slavery, battles, and waiting, and more battles, frustration, <laughs> and waiting, and more battles. So finally, they're at the land that God had promised, and Joshua and his buddy Caleb are like, yes, and Moses sends out 12 of them to go look at this land that God said, it's yours. I've given it to you. Just go and take it. So 10 of them come back complaining, Moses, why'd you even bring us out here, bro? We would have been so much better in Egypt. We need to find a new leader. Like there's giants in that land. We look like grasshoppers. <laughs> like, are you serious, Moses? And they just start complaining and complaining and complaining. My friend's daughter preached a message not too long ago. She said, you can't complain your way to the promised land. I was like, amen. <laughs> and and so, so Joshua and Caleb were like, whoa, wait, time out. That's not true. Look what Joshua and Caleb say. To the men who had explored the land... Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb tore their clothes, and they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored, it's a wonderful land. Like, all you guys are seeing is giants complaining about what's inside of it. They said, we see a wonderful land. I started thinking about the Bay Area, like, yeah, sure, there's a lot of darkness. It's difficult. It's highly unsure. I said, it's a wonderful land that God has given us. Surely we can take this land, right? Yeah. And so Joshua was like, come on, guys. You can see how there's a different perspective. Time in God's presence will shift your perspective. So it goes on to say, they said, if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely. Like, man, we're not even worried about those giants. Safely into the land, and then it's like they have another moment. Oh, man, it's rich and flowing with milk and honey. These other ten are worried out of their minds. And Joshua and Caleb are just dreaming like, oh, did you see that grave? Man, pumped. So Joshua goes on to say, Numbers chapter 14. They go on to say, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. Look at the perspective, guys. One said giants. This perspective said they're just helpless prey. They're just helpless prey. <laughs> they have no protection. Oh, but the presence of the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. You know what's so crazy is those 10 spies got their way, and their lies and their doubt plagued the entire nation and once again a day a, a journey that should have took 11 days ended up taking 40 years. Joshua was like I'm almost there, almost there. Oh man. I got to wait another what? Year after year after year because you guys can't believe. But in all that waiting, he never wasted it and he was just as passionate when they approached the land that he was 40 years when God gave him the promise. And let me just tell you, he had to wait and wait and wait, but you would never, you could have never imagined, you could have never come to the conclusion that after this man's battles and waiting, frustration and almost there, not quite there, all these battles and frustrations in his life, all of these walls that this man was facing, you would never know by his attitude. It's like, okay, well, let's wait, let's wait well. And let's get to work while we're waiting. Long story short, fast forward, Moses dies. Joshua becomes the guy. Once again, it's time to go into the land. A generation had passed away. God said, only you young people are coming in. All those other people. Unbelieving generation. We got to wait till that passes away. But you, Joshua, you're going to lead the way into the land. And so Joshua was like, okay, here we go again. I'm the guy. First first obstacle, flooded river. Well, how are we going to get across this? God parts it. Yes. Then he comes to probably the greatest challenge he would ever face. And this was like a monumental moment. As he comes to the city of Jericho, the very first battle that he would face entering into the promised land. And this battle was fierce, fierce, fierce battle. But before we jump into that battle, you say, well, Pastor Matt, how do I, if I'm compelled by the word and not complain about the world, like, how does that play out for me practically? Like, like what do I do when I'm afraid? Let me just give you a quick little point. You can jot this down. Just simply obey the word and not your worry. Just simply obey the word and not your worry. There's going to be so many things to worry about, but just obey the word. Leave the rest up to God. Don't obey your worry. I'm going to tell you what, if you spend time with God, it's going to save you a whole lot of time in life, and you're about to see why. Because Joshua is facing the biggest battle of his life. Last point is this. Joshua is getting ready to learn that worship prepares us for the walls. Worship prepares us for the walls. So Joshua is now standing at these walls of Jericho. Let me show you what they look like. We're almost done, and Jeff, you come up and play for me. So this is a schematic. I don't have time to go into all the details, but can I just tell you those walls were thick and they were high, about 80 feet, 80 feet high when you add both walls together, very thick, a military nightmare, especially for the technology that they had. That's what it was prepared for. It was prepared to be a fortified city. And so Joshua was looking at it like, oh, man, like, seriously? Like, I thought Jericho would be a little bit easier than this, but here he is, another wall. So Joshua was trying to figure this out. He's looking at it. He's looking at his guys, like, oh gosh. God, I know you're faithful. Anybody ever felt that you, you, you've been at a wall? Maybe financially, relationally? That you're like, oh, God, I know you're faithful. It's one of those. I know you're faithful. Just not too sure about this wall, though. Come, God. So Joshua was looking at the wall, and this guy jumps out. This guy jumps out. Look what he says, Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and commanded, are you a friend or a foe? Neither, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. So get this picture in your mind. Joshua was like, what's up? Are you with us? Are you against us? I was like, time out. Timeout. Let me take you back to that first battle. Let me take you back to the banner. Let me take you back to the one who goes before you. And it was like, for a moment, Joshua was like, what? Oh, oh. And look what he says. Joshua realized, man, what was I thinking? At this, Joshua fell to his feet. With his face to the ground in reverence. He said, I'm at your command. Right now, Joshua is in the very presence of God. This is the place that he longed to be in. And now many believe that this was an it was this was a precarnate Christ. This was Jesus appearing to him. Because Jesus wasn't just born in a manger. He always was, always is, and will always be. That's another sermon. But but, but here he is, and he's saying, he's in the very presence of God. It's like, man, this has been my dream all along. I just long to be in your presence. And he said, I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. All right. But what if I take off my sandals and somebody jumps out of the wall? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, we're preparing for battle. He's like, Exactly. You can't prepare for battle first with your sandals on. You prepare for battle with your sandals off. Not in a posture of warfare, but in a posture of worship. Because I'm going to do something on the inside of you, Joshua, that you would have never been able to figure out on your own. And it said, and Joshua did as he was told. Good job. You know what made Joshua such a great leader is he was first such a great servant. He said, man, okay, he did what he was told. And and what was taking place here is God was saying, listen, you have to worship before the walls. Before you try to just jump into warfare, I want you to worship. Now, this is so amazing. This is what happened, and I'm I'm ending with this. So amazing. God said, hey, Josh, you ready for this one, bro? Your sandals are off are you leaning in because i'm going to tell you how to take this city and it starts with your shoes off in my presence because in my presence i'm about to reveal to you something that you'd never be able to get on your own and he said this is what i want you to do i want you to march around the city for seven days every day march one time around the city you got that check Then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. By the way, grab some trumpets and some horns. Huh? And on the seventh day, at the seventh time, I want you to let out a loud, let's let out the trumpets, let out a loud shout that God has given us this city. And Joshua was like, and then he says, and then the walls will fall. What? I know I said whatever you want me to do, but I don't know if I want to do that but because you say so. And he did it. Joshua and his army just dominated the city and those walls fell without them putting one hammer to the mortar. Could it be that the walls you're facing right now, because you've been trying to put the hammer to the mortar and you've been trying warfare, but you forgot about worship, that maybe those walls aren't falling because your sandals first need to come off so he can give you the strategy so that those walls could come down in a way that only he could provide. I'm just saying. So if you decide to spend time with God, then on Monday, I just want you to ask a simple question. What do you want Your servant to do, Lord. What do you want me to do today? And obey his word, not your worry.